welcome to the At Peace Parents podcast. I'm Casey, and I'm here to empower you in your decision-making as a parent of a demand-avoidant child. My goal is to share insights that will generate aha moments and support your connection with your child. I'm a mom of two amazing little boys, one of whom is PDA, and I've worked with hundreds of parents just like you to teach them how to lead their child out of burnout and find the clarity, peace, and sense of community they need. Let's talk about siblings and raising a PDA child. So this is one of the most complex and difficult topics. It is also the primary source of stress in my life with my PDA son with eight and I have a four year old. And it is also my biggest source of worry being a mother in, you know, raising a PDA child with a younger sibling. So today I'm going to talk about six things relating to siblings and PDA children. So there are six categories. First, I'm going to talk about why it's so difficult. Second, I'm going to talk about the role of equalizing and why it's often targeted towards siblings. Third, I'm going to talk about what we can do in the moment within constraints. Four, I'm going to talk about structural changes and making difficult trade-offs and changes to your lifestyle in order to accommodate the situation that you're living with, with a PDA child and siblings. Um, Fifth, I'm going to talk about mindset around this and the way that we need to think about it in order to set up our lives so that they're peaceful and sustainable over the long term. And then sixth, I'll talk about the impact on siblings of living with a PDA child, especially one that externalizes their threat response and equalizes towards the sibling. So I'm going to incorporate stories from my own life to illustrate these concepts. Hi, everybody, um, and to ground them. Okay, so as I said, when I started this live, the topic of siblings is probably the thing that stresses me out the most as a mother, in addition to my son's eating. So although my son Cooper has improved vastly in every dimension and is thriving, we still have to manage a lot of equalizing towards our his younger brother, William, who's four, and it is a constant source of stress. However, these are the things that I do and the ways that I think about it in order to manage it. So I hope this is helpful to you guys. Okay, so first of all, why is this such a difficult thing to manage? So as we all know, how the PDA brain works is anytime there is a perceived loss of equality or autonomy, the body registers that as like, I'm going to die in the nervous system. Okay. And what makes this so difficult when there's a sibling in the mix, especially if the sibling is younger, neurodivergent themselves, or not flexible in their temperament, is that their mere existence of, of like showing up as an independent being in the world that's not necessarily accommodating the PDA is going to trigger the threat response. And that's really difficult because the mere existence of William like doing his thing and lining up trains and asking mom questions is going to be triggering Cooper because he's doing his own thing. He's asking for my attention and he's not accommodating Cooper's requests. 
Okay. So in families where one of the siblings is where the sibling of the PDA or is like older and very flexible and very accommodating, this is not so much of an issue. Okay. So it depends on the family, but my son Cooper did not equalize against William when he was younger as much as an infant, as a two-year-old, because he was not taking up space with his own personality, having independence and sort of reacting to Cooper in the play scenario. But around about two and a half, things really got difficult because William's personality started coming out and he wouldn't just allow Cooper to take his toys or he wouldn't just let Cooper destroy his things, right? And so the reaction would be one of provoking a threat response in my older son who's PDA. Okay. Additionally, having a sibling in the mix means necessarily you're dividing your attention. And what we know about PDA children is that one of the five features is that they need your undivided attention and signals of safety due to their nervous system disability. So having two children or more is going to make it impossible to constantly co-regulate and signal safety and provide undivided attention. So it's going to escalate the threat response. I say this like not to blame the PDA child and not to blame the parent either. It's just a very, very difficult situation with how the brain works because you're trying to manage something that you can't necessarily control. Okay. So as I said before, it can get harder depending on like the developmental stage, the temperament, the neurotype of the sibling, right? So like William is more anxious, has more rigid rigidity to his thinking. He likes things organized. He likes to line up his trains. And so when my older son will equalize, he'll walk by and like kick the trains accidentally. And then it just turns into this huge escalation. So this is why it's so difficult. It's not because of your parenting. It's because it's a difficult thing to manage when you have a child whose brain, anytime they perceive a loss of equality, is operating within a context where you have a sibling that you need to pay attention to, right? That's not your fault. That's not their fault. It just is the situation, okay? So equalizing, as we know, is what a PDA child's nervous system does to get back to a place of perceived safety. And equalizing is often targeted at the safest person, which is often the lead parent, usually the mom, or the weakest, which is often the sibling. So you might see, even if they're able to like keep it together at school, they come home, the sibling is not doing anything to provoke them and is like sort of off in their own world. And they will go over and deliberately equalize, not deliberately, but will equalize against the younger sibling because it's like a weak party and can, um, and perceived as safe on a subconscious level. So what does this look like? I'm going to give you guys some examples from my own life with my son. So what this looks like when my son has had a day of school, for example, he might walk into the room and see that William has like built something on his side of the room and he'll come over or run through the room and he'll kick it over accidentally, right? And then I have a choice point, which feels impossible, which is like, do I name that he's just knocked down his younger brother's 
toys? Do I, you know, do I emphasize it? But when I do, that's a perceived loss of autonomy and it escalates, right? And when, and sometimes I do, and we're going to talk about boundaries. I'm not going to get deep into that because that's a whole nother live or training. But one of the boundaries I have in my house is you cannot hurt anyone else in this family, physically, psychologically, spiritually, which means I might say, I just saw you knock down William's toys and he'll immediately equalize against me and say, I didn't, I didn't, it was an accident, right? And it starts to escalate and it's a very difficult situation. Another thing is like, I'll build a fort in, my sons have two different sides of the living room. My son has like the area with the TV, his service dog, his part of the couch. He keeps the light off. My other son has like his area for lining up trains and doing Legos and he has his light on. So it's like, we're trying to accommodate conflicting access needs, shall we say, okay? But sometimes my younger son, I'll build a fort or like a cave to protect him. And when my other son is activated, my PDA son, he'll like hover around the fort and like play with a toy on top of it. So like my younger son can like see that he's there. And then it starts to escalate because my younger son is like, stop touching it. And he's like, I'm not touching it. Right. And it's equalizing. So it's just like this continual escalation. And if if the sibling is like a 12 year old who is like understanding that the PDA child is equalizing, then it might not escalate because they're just like, I'm just going to ignore this be- this behavior and go upstairs and like play on my iPad or read a book. So it really depends on the dynamic, but this is the dynamic in my home. Or he'll like stick his little foot like under the cave and it's almost, it's impulsive, it's reflexive. And again, it's a choice point as a parent because you know if you try and name it, stop it, put a limit on it, even distraction will cause a perception of a loss of equality that I'm above my son or a loss of autonomy. So it really does feel like a rock and a hard place. And I'll give you one more example that just happened this weekend because my husband was out of town. So I was in charge of both children, which is very difficult because of this dynamic. So we went to the pool and at the end um and in the morning my au pair was with me when i took them both to the pool and we were both sort of like on one child and i was like okay huli why don't you go get dressed and in the shower first and i'll stay with the kids so i had a moment of like my nervous system with both of them and my younger one was like floating around in this warm whirlpool area and like setting up his trucks on the edge of the whirlpool, the tiles. And my older son, Cooper, came over, put his back directly to my younger son and started splashing himself, right? And so he's splashing my younger son in his face. And I'm like, I'm noticing that you're getting my face and William's face wet and he's like, I'm splashing myself, right? The subtle equalizing and again, choice point. And so it's really difficult and it depends on the degree of like trust you have and the degree of cumulative nervous system activation. What's going to happen if you put a limit down? So I put myself physically between them and I said like, I don't want to be splashed in the face and he 
growled at me. He got frustrated because he's in a very good place with his overall nervous system activation and accumulation and we trust each other. He was able to move away. But he said to me, I, w- I want daddy to, c- to come home and I want this day to be over because he knew like he couldn't stop himself. Right. Normally we split the kids almost entirely. So it was, you know, both. I want to emphasize both the like choice point and frustration and impossibility as a parent. But I also want to emphasize like he did not want to be doing that equalizing behavior. It's a reflexive and autonomic nervous system response. Okay, so there's no blame on either side here. We're just naming like what the actual experience is. Okay, so what do we do about it? Right? How do we live in this situation? (laughs) And the reason I've hesitated to talk about or write about siblings too much, I do have some tiles on Instagram, um, is because I don't have a magical solution. And so often parents are looking for like, what's the strategy? Like, how do you fix this? And again, as I've said before, you know, first of all, this is a complex topic, so it's hard for me to like write tiles about it or like do a do a TikTok. <laughs> Second, it is unsatisfying if we're not in a coaching container or if we're not in a program together and I can like co-regulate and give you nuance to say like I don't have a strategy that fix it, fixes it. We can we can implement some ideas, but you need to think structurally about your home and lifestyle and make trade-offs and do cost-benefit decisions, which I'm going to talk about. And it's also I completely understand that like some of you are single parents, some of you are separated from your partner, some of you do not have the financial resources I do. So like the suggestions I would make on a social media account without knowing you could be very triggering, but I'm still going to talk about it because hopefully it will plant a seed for you. But recognizing that, like, I understand that everybody's in a different situation. Okay. So the first thing we can do is separate like what we can do in the moment and what we can do to mitigate. And these are two separate things because once equalizing is happening against a sibling, trying to stop it is going to continue to escalate. That doesn't mean you don't ever set boundaries. It just means you have to be in the mindset of like, if I set a boundary or a limit or say something, there will be an escalation because that's how the brain works of my PDA child or teen. It might be worth making that decision. The benefit of setting a boundary might be worth the cost of the nervous system activation, but I don't have a solution for making your child not have that nervous system mechanism. And that's what parents want, right? So in the moment, what we can do is think in terms of risk mitigation, okay? Like we're in a very, very constrained situation where sometimes safety is an issue, right? And we have to think, like most parents don't have to think, which is like, what is the least risky course of action? Right? Like when I was caring for both kids for years and it was during the pandemic, I didn't have caregiving support. There were moments when like I would have to decide between like, do I go after my screaming one and a half year old who's climbing up the stairs or chase my PDA son out the front door because he's in full on flight and running like into the street. 
right? And I often chose the PDA child because it was more dangerous in the street. But like, that sucks. It sucks to have to make that decision. But many parents that I've worked with base those decisions. And I'm naming them because like, I, I don't have some magical strategy that like prevents that unless you have extra caregiving support, right? Except for working over the long term through a connection and accommodation approach, which takes months, sometimes years, okay? But allowing yourself to think in terms of risk mitigation. Second, if your child isn't that activated, I often sit physically between my children, right? Like if my son is equalizing in a way that's not like physically dangerous, I will sit and like physically block my younger son or at the pool, I physically put myself between them. But again, there's a cost to that because while I'm physically between the two children, I can't be like doing dishes or, you know, folding laundry because you're caregiving, right? You're not just parenting. And this is really important to understand. So you like stop the blame and guilt and shame of like the degree to which you have to be caregiving, right? Um, I, when things are not super escalated and this weekend is a good example, I will incorporate myself into play in a way that's actively mitigating harm. So like, for example, my son, my older son, PDA really likes intense sensory input. So a game we play in the basement is like, he'll stand across from me and I have these like blocks that are soft and I'll throw them at him and he'll punch them or he'll let him hit him and then he'll kick them back to me. My four-year-old, I'm like behind him, he has like a shield of a big sort of like pillow block and I'm holding him with one arm and throwing with the other because if he gets hit too hard, I'm catching him, right? So I'm like co-regulating him because he's got a sensitive soul and throwing at my other son. This can work because my uh, my older son is actually in quite a good place and he's not like, do it faster, stop. Like, you know, like the fact that I'm sort of paying attention to both is not activating him. Other times during the weekend, I had to like place my younger son behind a wall so he could line up trains and then throw things at my older son, right? So like, this is not a plug and play situation. (laughs) And I'm sure many of you know that, but like often, and I'll just speak from experience, like for so long, I was just like, why can't my, why can't my son play independently? Right? Like, why can't I go cook dinner or like make a phone call while they're playing in the afternoon? Because that's what everyone else around me's kids do. But like, that's why the disability mindset is so important of just like, it is not going to be that way. Right. And, and really like radically accepting that and leaning into it can like help you find a lot more peace. Um, <clears throat> and then sometimes I do set boundaries, right? Like, and then I'm ready to deescalate with the PDA child. Now, Thankfully, his response is often running upstairs to his room instead of like coming after us. But that has taken years to get to the place where he is not attacking, right? And that is the like whole premise of this 
podcast, social media, the programs I run is an accommodation, supportive, child-led, relationship-based approach, but it takes years, right? It's not like a do this and then it's fixed, okay? The other thing I do is I put them on screens because, and I like both of them often refuse to wear headphones or go to their rooms because they're like little homing devices to each other, even though they're constantly activating each other. So, you know, I like, and then they'll scream like, I can't hear anything. And each one of them is like increasing the volume. And I've got my headphones on because I like just want quiet in a library. And it's hard, right? But like, I might come over and like sit next to my little one so he feels safe and co-regulated well. My older son has control over the the television. So what you're seeing here is like, I am not like a coach or a clinician who's like, yeah, I have the solution. Here it is, right? Like do a dance party. It's fine, right? Like I do not have some magical wand that's like solving the sibling issue. And I just really need to explain that because I get so many questions about this and I don't want people to think I'm withholding information. I just don't have a quick fix because there isn't one. Okay, fourth point. If you're doing all of these things or if you're early in your PDA journey, sometimes it's not enough to use in in the moment strategies. And this is what we need to pan out and really ground down into the fact that you're raising a child with a complex nervous system disability that you can't change in the moment, right? And so if the escalation is so high or the siblings are in danger, we really need to start thinking about having more caregivers involved. And as I said before, I understand there's constraints. Not everybody can manage this financially, logistically, but I work with a lot of families who get stuck in the shoulds. I should be able to take care of both my kids. I should be able to handle it. I should be able to leave my children with one caregiver. Not the case, right? It's often not the case. I find it extremely difficult to manage both my children. That's why this past five days was so intense for me. I do not expect my au pair to do something that I find difficult, for example, right? But I do have her in-house so that like, if my kids are off from school, I take the day off of work and we both caregive, right? And this means structurally, I can't go back to a job like I had before or my husband has to quit his. So these are structural constraints and we have to think about whether it's enlisting a neighbor, a grandparent, a caregiver, a spouse to be present in the moments when both children are like equalizing or escalating because it is not possible to caregive and parent at the same time for siblings that are constantly activating each other. Okay. So I plant that seed for you and also to help you understand that like, again, I am struggling with this too, right? And it's not because like I am here to help you not like fix it, but figure out ways to like find peace in your life, which means really wrapping your mind around like financial trade-offs, cost-benefit decisions, and figuring out a way to make this long-term sustainable because it might take months or years to get the equalizing down to a point where it's safe. Okay, 
Fifth point, and I started talking about this already, realizing the truth of what I just said brings up grief, resentment, anger, and rage. Why? Because you didn't want to have to make those decisions. I didn't want to make those decisions. I didn't want to leave my job. I didn't want to move from DC necessarily. I don't want to have the degree of stress that I have with my husband in the transactional relationship and the fact that we can't even like be in the same place for 16 days over the holidays. It's not something that I want, right? But that is my lived experience. And I, in this moment, radically accept it and try and find joy even though that's my reality. And that's what I want for you because when you do that, it opens up space to find more joy, okay? Finally, impact on the sibling. Okay, so there's five things I wanna say here and then I'm gonna sign off because this has been a long life and you can catch it on the podcast as well. Okay, so the impact on siblings is not negligible, right? Like I often look at my younger son's behavior, his reactivity, his struggles, his anxiety, the way his body moves when he hears the sound of Cooper coming in the door. Like I can see his body tense, right? Because he's been living in a house where he's hearing and seeing the sounds of someone in pain and danger, which is threat response of his brother. And so I often wonder like, is he PDA, my younger son, because he has such a huge threat response reaction. And when I really ground down into like knowing him, he's not. He just like has been traumatized and is also sensitive. He may have like his own anxiety genetically, but like it's amplified by the situation in our home. And like I could see it when I took him to Alabama to be with my dad he was like a different child, right? We didn't have meltdowns. We didn't have avoidance. We didn't have resistance and he communicated differently. And that's also really hard and something that I have grief about, right? So I want to name that because it's hard for me too. And I know it's something you guys struggle with. Um, but the first like solution, not a solution, but a suggestion is like really talking about disability with siblings, not just difference. Oh, I have a question here. What's the name of the podcast? It's at peace parents podcast. (laughs) Um, not just difference, but disability. So often when I'm coaching families, And I think this is great. They're talking about difference and like equality and all this stuff with their children and the children's, the siblings are like, well, I'm different too. Like if it's a difference, why is this other child (laughs) getting all these like accommodations and lower demands and not getting consequences, et cetera, right? And so it's really important to talk about disability And the book that I would suggest for a starter is called Poppy and the Overactive Amygdala, um, which has been really helpful. I know that's more oriented towards younger children. My son is four and we've had, I guess the luxury of having like Diesel, our service dog in the mix, which has allowed us to have like a reference point of like, why does he have a service dog? 
and I talk a lot about disability and how his brain works, but my younger son still struggles of like, why does Cooper do this? Why is Cooper so mean to me? Right? So it's an ongoing conversation. It's something I'm always thinking about. Another reason that we separate the kids most of the time, they're almost never with just one caregiver is because even if my younger son is not getting physically hurt, he's psychologically <laughs> being impacted, right? And so I try and, you know, at this point in our journey, I spend most of the weekend with my younger son, just the two of us, and my husband takes <clears throat> my PDA son. And that's when I like fill him up with love and attention and focus on him. <clears throat> Excuse me. I also want to emphasize that like, and my husband said this to me early in the journey, and I hope it's helpful to you. When I was like crying in bed of like, I'm traumatizing both my kids. He was like, you know, Casey, we're raising a child with a disability. So it's going to impact William, like just like it would everybody, just like it would if we had a child with Down syndrome or chronic illness or diabetes or something like that, like there is an impact on the sibling and it's not going to be what you expected. You know, you expected to have a healthy or neurotypical child. And that mindset shift really alleviated some of my own guilt because I could feel like I belonged to a group of other parents in the world, even if I don't know them personally who are dealing with constraints where like they have to go to the hospital in the middle of the night and a neighbor might come over and like the younger kid wakes up and, and like the family's at the hospital, like all of these things impact siblings, but we are belonging to a different group of parents than who we often compare ourselves to. Right. And and so I look to that space, like the disability space outside of neurodiversity and PDA to understand that, like, I'm not alone in this, even if it doesn't look the same. And like, we're all doing our best within the constraints that we face. And then finally, like in terms of the impact on siblings, um, is like the discussion of boundaries and boundaries being something you decide not in the heat of the moment. It's not like... I'm reacting out of fear or anger or like my own nervous system. It's something that you decide beforehand, before the heat of the moment. Um, and I have a whole workshop on that. That's just $25 if you guys want to want to check it out because that's like a whole nother discussion. But um, for our family, primarily the boundaries are around siblings my younger son, right? So I allow a lot of equalizing verbally against me that I don't let go for my younger son. And the cost of that is nervous system activation and then de-escalation as an accommodation. So <clears throat> I also say that to like give you some permission to think strategically and long-term about like how your family system works and it will be different than mine. But, you know, lower demands doesn't mean chaos or like you never, <laughs> ever set a boundary. At least that's my perspective in this space. All right, everybody. I hope that was helpful. I finally talked about siblings in a nuanced way. Um, and you can catch it on the podcast at, at Peace Parents. 
All right, everybody. Thanks so much. Bye. Thanks everyone for being here with me at the At Peace Parents podcast. This is your source for all things related to understanding, supporting, accommodating, and advocating for your PDA child. To go deeper on any of these topics, check out my course offerings and masterclasses at the website www.atpeaceparents.com.